The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. live with you for the next two hours. We like to cover autism from a 360 degree perspective. So there'll be something for everyone today, I promise you. Plus what you can see, some of the toys that I have uh, in the corner of the screen here. I have a desk full of toys. We in fact have a studio full of toys because we're gonna be talking about toys, 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 toys. Because you know why? It's the holidays and it's not just one holiday. There's a bunch of different holidays. And it's a time of year where you might need to get a gift for a child that is very near and dear to you and that happens to be on the autism spectrum and I don't know about you but I, I you know I love to buy a toy that's amazing um, but I don't like to spend money and I don't like to spend money on things that aren't useful and don't light a child up and I wanted to do both I wanted to light the child up and I want it to be something that helps them to grow and help them to grow in a way that they don't realize <laughs> <laughs> they're being helped to grow. You know what I'm saying? They just think they're having fun, but we know that they're working on building skills. That's my favorite thing ever. So this is my favorite time of year when we get to talk about the toys and showcase toys that I and a whole lot of other people think are getting it done. So we're going to be doing that throughout the day. Um, I want to um, start out the show, I mean, um, by reminding you that first and foremost, we have experts that are on the show that are going to be talking to you. I'm not one of them. I, I would say to you that I'm a former teacher and I'm a very proud autism mom, but um, I, I'm not an expert in autism. I would say this to you. I think that I'm pr pretty close to being an expert, though, on what toys are good for autism. I'm going to own that. I'm going to embrace and own that. Um, but other than that, I don't think that I'm an expert in too much of anything. I'm not even an expert in my very own child. Uh, you know, anytime I think I have that figured out, he grows and reminds me, no. So um, please remember that. I'm really passionate about being here to help you, to connect you to the resources that you need and want. And I completely understand that that is unique and that is not a, something that a cookie cutter can fill. What I needed as a parent is not necessarily what you needed as a parent. What my child needed is not necessarily what your child needed. So uh, just keep that in mind. I do think of this as a 
you know, there is no one size fits all, let's say that. And, um, but I want to be here to help you because I have to. I was given help when I needed it the most. My child was able to get exactly what he needed. I don't know how that worked out, but I am 100% clear that I need to pay it forward and help other parents get what they need, other educators get what they need, other, uh, my goodness, the providers of, of all the care that our kids get. I want to help them to get the support so that we can do this together. You know what I always say? We hold hands together. Si se puede, right? Okay. Uh, we like to start Thursdays with something we fondly refer to. Oh, I didn't even go through. See, I'm so excited that I did not even go through all the different ways that you can connect with us. So let's show them some of the ways that they can connect with us. While, they're, uh, while you're looking at that, I want to remind you our homepage is autism-live.com, but I really don't want you to go there today. I really don't want you to go there. I want you to go to http colon backslash backslash uh, beta B-E-T-A dot autism hyphen live dot com because we really I want to get that to be the new set site and not the beta site but I need a few more people testing it and I know you guys don't want to go there because you're afraid of what will happen but uh, I need you to go there because the one last thing that we're checking is to see that you can watch the show live there so please someone go over to beta and then message me and let me know there's a there's a place on there of course I don't have it open on my screen but I will during the first break for you guys to there's a new way of sending messages on the old site there is a way that you can send messages that is just um, it's it's right there and you put your cursor in the box that says your question and you type and hit enter um, on the new one it's in your lower left hand corner and it says ask a question you click it and it opens up the box so we want to see that that works and that you can watch us live there at the top of the page there's a, a thing that should be flashing that says live click on it and it will open up the screen so that you can watch us there live somebody Please test it out for me, okay? Because we need to do it while we're live. All right. Uh, we do like to start the show with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out just what in the hey nani nani are the experts talking about in an effort to save ourselves time and money. Because you know if you have to stop and say to them, what does that mean? then that takes time and time is money, right? So uh, if we can learn this a little bit at a time every week, we've seen you guys really embrace this. So today's uh, jargon term is the three term contingency. I know, doesn't that sound like something uh, where you're gonna go to jail? The three term contingency, okay. But this is when um, we are talking about the ABCs of behavior. So let me give you the actual definition of the three term contingency. The three term contingency in operant conditioning refers to stimulus control. In particular, an antecedent contingency called the discriminative stimulus, SD, that influences the strengthening or weakening of behavior through such consequences as reinforcement or punishment. Da, 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 da. And if you understand that, then you already are a BCBA, right? Because I know therapists who understand this in practice but are like, huh, when you read that definition, right? It, once you know this, that sort of makes sense, but let's uh, let's break it down into our working definition, which is the three uh, the three term contingency is the ABCs of behavior, as I said before. So all you have to remember is A B C. So the A stands for antecedent, which is a very fancy word for saying what happened before. So 
antecedent happens, behavior happens, that's the B, and the C is the consequence. Antecedent, behavior, consequence. That's what the three-term contingency is. It says something happens, then a behavior happens, and then there is a consequence for that behavior, and that's life. That's every living thing in life. That is human beings on and off the spectrum. That is all of our pets. That is our plants. Something happens, there is a behavior, and there is a consequence. Don't believe me with the plant thing? Uh, move a plant so that there's only one direction in which the sun can come from, and the plant will grow towards that light, right? So the antecedent is there's no light where they are. The behavior is it grows towards the light, and the consequence is that the plant gets fed light, right? But you and I do this as well. We just do it thousands of times a day. And our kids who are on the spectrum do it thousands of times a day. And when we understand this equation, it is the ultimate in empowerment because so often we think, we focus, we, we get obsessed with the behavior. Oh, my child hits, my child bites, my child stims, my child you know, constantly makes these noises, right? And we get focused on the behavior. And we're like, I want to get that behavior, you know, gone, or I want to get it under control, or I want to change it, or whatever. And we're really, really focused on the behavior. But here's the secret to the whole thing. We really don't have that much control over behavior. Because what happens, I mean, this is the reason why we have prison systems and all, and prison systems that don't work, is that we're focused on the behavior. Want to change that behavior? And a lot of times we're like, and I want a punishment into, in, into out of existence, right? And punishment doesn't work. <laughs> we are, the studies are in. Punishment does not work. But um, what does work, what we know for sure, is uh, working on things around the behavior. So you don't have much control over the behavior, but you have a lot of control over the antecedent, and you have a great deal of control over the consequence for something. So I always use the example, because this is me, it used to be a long time ago, uh, I would sit in a doctor's office with my son, and he would kick a chair. And I, and I, like a typical parent, would sit there and say, don't kick the chair. To my child on the autism spectrum, who, you know, we don't know how much uh, language he can hear and understand. And I'm like, don't kick the chair. And now I physically go over and hold his leg, and he kicks the chair more, right? What am I going to do? Tape him? up so that he can't kick the chair you know I, I remember my mother saying well you know you need to spank him really because that wasn't going to stop him from kicking the chair and it's not my philosophy of parenting but I you know what do I do to get control of the behavior if I think of okay what could I have done beforehand well what if because why is he kicking the chair in this particular instance he started kicking the chair out of boredom but then he continued kicking the chair because he was getting a great deal of attention when he kicked the chair uh, right? Because I was all over him saying, don't do this. Don't. And it was hilarious watching me not be effective. So he thought that was funny. And now everybody in the room is watching him kick the chair and me making a fool of myself. So now he's getting attention from it. So um, instead, what I could have done is prevented the boredom to begin with. I could have brought a bag of toys, which I then subsequently did forever, a bag of toys that had little toys in them that were wind-up toys and, and a little thing of uh, an egg of Play-Doh. 
um, and things that, you know, that were fun and sensory that he, this is why we talk about the toys, right? And he would play with them for a couple of minutes and then maybe that would wear off because he wasn't interested in it anymore and then I'd pull out another one and there would be crayons in there and something to color, just a little bag with a little thing folded up, but enough stuff so that there were like 20 things in there that would have like at each one of them like a two minute uh, interest factor so I could get through quite a bit of time in a doctor's office. So in that way, I, I create an environment in which the kicking the chair never happens, right? Now sometimes it's too late. We, we show up and we don't have the thing that's the antecedent, so then we got to deal in consequences. And sometimes it's better to deal in consequences also. But um, everybody tends to focus on, oh, well then we punish it. Well, how well does that work? What we find often is that in fact, reinforcing another behavior works better than punishing a behavior that's happening. So instead of saying to him, if you kick the chair one more time, you're going to have to sit in the corner, which how am I going to legislate that in a doctor's office, right? Instead of that, I distract him, I call him over, and I say, you know, I've, I've got something in my purse or on my phone, and I say, can you pick the blue one? He picks the blue one, and I go, dude, great job. I'm now reinforcing a different behavior so he's getting attention and he's no longer bored and I didn't even discuss the kicking the chair but I have very effectively very cleverly stopped him from kicking the chair ABC's of behavior I'm telling you this is the secret to the whole shebanger once you really get this it is fabulous if you're working with um, a BCBA, I'm going to take my piece of paper really quick. We're taking too long because we've got a BCBA that I want on the show here in a second. If I fold a piece of paper into three, right? So it's in three little spots here. And I write A, B, C across the top. Anytime you're working with a BCBA and you want them to address a behavior, start keeping a diary on a three-term uh, contingency and you make a little line across for events and so when they engage in the behavior, you write down all the things that happened in the behavior. He threw things, he kicked the chair, he did whatever. You write down what the consequence was, and then you think, okay, now, what was happening right before? And you write that down. That's always your last box, right? And m note the date and the time and anything that you think is relevant, and then give that to your BCBA. They will know what to do with that. They will be so excited. They will just think that you are the cat's pajamas. All right, I've, I've talked too long on this. We have other things to do today, but that's the three-term contingency, and it's a fabulous thing. Moving on, we always have a question of the day for you, and our question today is, what is your favorite way to treat yourself? What do you do to give yourself a reward? When it's time for you to congratulate yourself and be like, woohoo, I did something, which I'm going to guess for all of us, especially people who are any kind of a caregiver at all, it's the last thing we think of is how do we treat ourselves. But what do you do to actually treat yourself? And once you answer that question, ask yourself, is that really how you want to treat yourself? Or is that the thing that's available last minute because you didn't plan? Um, you know, a lot of times, well, we, we pick a vice, right, to treat ourselves. Um, I, I'm just going to be honest and admit that I treat myself with food and you can see where that's gotten me, right? But if I were to think ahead, I can still treat myself with food. But the fact of the matter is, is that if I really wanted to treat myself with food, it would be fresh fruit. 
I mean, that is totally my favorite thing. But that takes time and that takes planning. And, you know, a lot of times you got to peel it and cut it and wash it. Um, and so I will tend to go for something that that's a little faster. But my point is find a way to reinforce yourself on a regular basis. Have it be something that really reinforces yourself, that it's really what you want to do. I think especially in the holidays, we all have to focus on this a little bit more. How do you treat yourself and is it the way that you want to treat yourself? Okay, uh, we always have a topic of the week and our topic this week is very simple. It's getting to the reinforcer for you, for me, for our kids, for everyone, because sometimes we set ourselves up such a task and the reinforcer is so far away that we're not going to make it that we don't, we don't have enough buy-in to get there. That's true for all of us. And so for your kiddos, when we're starting to work on a new program, program with them, we need to have a way for them to get to the reinforcer almost immediately. And it's the same thing for us as well. For those of you who are doing an intensive behavioral intervention, I'm just going to ask you, have you gotten to a reinforcer yet? Because, you know, their day will come when your child will do something that is absolutely earth shattering, that just is going to level you and you're going to be like, oh my goodness. And you'll be filled with hope and you'll be so excited. But, you know, for some people that doesn't come for quite a while and you're not going to make it if you don't give yourself a reinforcer. So sometimes we give ourselves a reinforcer that isn't the reinforcer, but it's reinforcing. And in this case, that's a good thing. So, you know, if you are um, a teacher and working with kids on the spectrum, what can you do today to reinforce yourself for being a good teacher? Because you know what? That will keep you fresh and wanting to come back more. If you're a parent with a kiddo on the spectrum, what have you done lately to reinforce yourself? And what can you do today to pat yourself on the back and truly feel like I deserve this. I'm doing a good job. And guess what? It's a hard job. Uh, that's true for everybody. What are you, let's get to the reinforcer as fast as we can. And if you're working with kiddos on the spectrum, yours or students of yours, we got to get to the reinforcer. Let's get to the reinforcer right away, right? So here's your reinforcer. Uh, I've got some amazing guests for you today on the show. We're going to start out with our expert is Marina Balkin, and she's going to be here with us to answer some of the questions that you guys have written in. Then we have Bonnie Yates, special education attorney and amazing author autism mom as well. She's going to be with us answering more of your legal questions. And then we have got two of uh, the manufacturers of some of the toys that we have here on our desk are going to be with us. First up is going to be Elton Chu of WePlay, a fabulous company that I can't wait to tell you more about. And then a little bit later in the second hour, we have Jim Garber from Discovery Toys. Oh my gosh, the fun stuff that they make. So can't wait to share all of that with you. First, we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, Marina Balkan is going to be with us answering your questions. Stick with us. Our twins, Justin and Jessica, were premature babies, so we always were very conscientious of their development. But I think it was probably 15 months, Justin started getting really obsessive compulsive with opening and closing doors. And Justin started tantruming a lot too. Get out! 
these would be major tantrums that were just completely debilitating to the family. Having to take them out of the house, put them in the car, drive around, just to calm them down. Yeah, I remember a breaking point and just thinking, you know what, we gotta do something, this is not right. Once we were on the track to getting a diagnosis for autism, we started sharing that with our close friends and family. It just so happens that somebody from our older daughter's private school called us out of the blue. She introduced herself and she says, I know that recovery is possible. Those words so early in our journey were a guiding force for us. As we got more educated in knowing what is effective therapies for kids with autism, we realized quality ABA is vital to that progress. That's where we decided that CARD was the right provider for us and for our son. Justin responded very well to therapy. The behaviors were tracked and we saw that what was being instituted was working. Justin, what are you doing? There was real progress, and it was progress that was tangible. I just remember when he, he made a sentence, he said a sentence. We were just happy about it, going, no way, I can't believe you just did that. What's the date? The 18th. 18th of what month? December. Oh, what year is it? 2007. Oh, okay, so how old are you today then? The therapies that CARD did for Justin didn't just impact his daily living skills, but it was a positive impact on our entire family. I'm Justin. I am in fourth grade. I like playing video games sometimes. My dream to build a teleporter machine. Like sometimes if like we're on an airplane and it's like really long, you guys just say, oh, hurry up with that teleporter machine. I'm waiting on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started Friday Night Lights. This is our third game of the season, and um, it's pretty fun. You have to be fast. We attribute so much of Justin's recovery to CARD. Their goal was the same as our goal. We wanted Justin recovered. June 12, 2008 is a day that I celebrate every year because that is the day that Justin was deemed recovered from autism. And Dr. Doreen Grandpiche met with us, looked at him and just said, he's brilliant. You need to keep his mind stimulated because he's very smart and he has no residual traits of autism. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're welcoming uh, back onto the show Marina Bolkin. Who, uh, Marina? Welcome back. Where are you joining us from? Afternoon. I am in Santa Fe, New Mexico today. Wow. And so, Marina, tell the folks at home uh, what your role is at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Sure. I'm a senior regional manager at CARD. So I oversee the clinical and administrative performance of some of our centers in Southern California, New Mexico, and Arizona. That's a big, big VPA. range. You're also what? 
I'm also a BCBA, so I supervise kiddos across the states as well. And we love a fabulous BCBA, and you are a fabulous BCBA. So Marina is here today to answer some of the questions that you guys have written in. So uh, I'm going to get started with the first one here. How can I get my four-year-old with ASD to play with my friend's non-ASD kids? I have only one child, and he is on the spectrum. My friend has three boys, none on the spectrum. Whenever we get together, they try to play with my son, but they give up. Then eventually something happens and the three boys will blame my son and stick up for each other. Uh, so Marina, what can we tell this mom to help her to be able to have a good play date with these other kids? I think like with so many situations for our parents with autism, being prepared and proactive possible is a great start. I would suggest to this mom that she maybe bring some activities that her child enjoys playing over to her friend's home to have familiar games and familiar toys that might be a little bit more engaging. Maybe also having the moms and the kids playing together as a group. There's a little bit more supervision throughout the activity. Might be a way to just help things go smoothly. And I think overall having the expectation that the kids are not going to play together completely well the full time is probably pretty reasonable so maybe this mom can have her child engage with the three siblings for shorter amounts of time maybe five ten minutes at a time and then give her kiddo a little break to do something preferred on his own before then giving them the opportunity to play again together and i know a really good structured activity that kids enjoy doing together is eating so maybe making more of the social activities revolve around snacks or watching a show that might be a little bit more engaging um, would be a way that everybody kind of has more fun during that time together too. I think that's great because it's got to be reinforcing for everybody. Um, okay, so the next question, how can I motivate my teenager to want to come to the center for therapy? As teenagers, I think if this particular child the understanding to be aware of why he's coming for treatment. I think sometimes explaining that he's coming to the center because that's where his teachers happen to be, and he might see kids at the center that are different from him, but he can be a role model to them or be there to help teach them, might be a way of setting this teenager up to feel like we're not comparing him necessarily to the kids at the center, but that just happens to be the setting where his teachers are, which is why he's going to the center to work on his individual goals. And sometimes the older teens like the responsibility of being a helper in the office, so really setting them up as, we asked you to come here because you're a great role model for the younger kids, or we enjoy having you at the center because you can show the younger kids what's an appropriate way of behaving and you're a really good um, example for them might be a way of the experience more positive. Ultimately, if those motivating variables don't work, ABA relies on reinforcement, exactly like you said, Shannon. So I think coming up with a good reward system is a way to take some of that power struggle out of it and thinking of a reinforcer that the teenager might enjoy earning as a reward for coming to the center or maybe choosing a really preferred game or activity that he only gets to do at the center with his behavior technician would be a way to make treatment a little bit more motivating as well. 
And then making sure that um, this mom is talking to her supervisor to also make sure that the team is making the experience as positive and interesting and fun as positive as possible. I'm sorry for the teen uh, would make the whole experience more enjoyable as well. Maybe they can incorporate going on outings from the center if appropriate, or if there's some of our offices are lucky enough to have like a little store or a little cafe where they can go and do part of their session just to make it a little bit more variable, interesting, and add some novelty in there too. It's interesting. Just the other day, I was talking to a parent who has a teenager and they're starting to come to the center. And one of the things that came up is that the center has a game system that they don't have at home. And she was talking about how much he likes that game um, thing and that she was going to get one for home. And we said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Let's not do that right away. <laughs> like, if that, if that is at the center, then maybe he'll want to go to the center to play that game system. And we don't want him to have it at home because then that won't make the, the center special. And she was like, oh, I nev that never even occurred to me. Um, so I, you know, so far I think that he's enjoying going to the center because he knows he's going to do some stuff at the center and then he's going to get to play this game system that he doesn't have at home. So, uh, Absolutely. And we're always very open to suggestions if our kids or teens or parents can suggest other games or toys that we can have at our centers that make the treatment more fun for the families. I think that we're always open and we want to hear what those suggestions are. We can find more interesting games to just keep our teens and kids engaged and having fun while they're learning. Yeah, it's all the, all great. It's all about the reinforcement. Um, so then the last question here, my two and a half year old is starting therapy next week. What do I need to do to get ready? That's always, I'm sure, a very stressful time for families. I think I, if those sessions are taking place at the center, it would be really useful for this mom to start thinking about just packing up for treatment for the day, making sure that there is a lunch and snacks available and that there are enough snacks available to use as rewards throughout the day. It's always really important to have a couple of changes of clothing at the office, just in case of spills or accidents. Uh, we need to make sure that our kids are coming in comfortable, close-toed shoes because they're so active and there's a lot of people around. It'd be really useful to pack an extra jacket because sometimes it can be a little cold. Um, making sure that mom is putting some preferred toys for her child into the backpack that she's bringing to sessions so the therapy team has good options of games and toys to play with to build rapport with the little boy or girl. Um, if the kiddo isn't toilet trained yet, making sure we have plenty of toileting supplies available um, to work through that toilet routine. And it's always really helpful when parents give us pretty clear instructions on what the kids need in terms of this is how often we need to remind them to drink water, this is how often we need to remind them to eat and hear the, the order of the food that the kids like. Especially when they're new to treatment, we want to keep the routines as consistent as they were at home, especially during that transition to make that as easy as possible. Um, it's if it has been napping, I think one way to try to get prepared for treatment is to see if that napping schedule can be tweaked or shortened 
uh, to have more time available for ABA, if at all possible. I think being available to come in a little bit earlier or maybe stay a little bit longer at drop-off and pick-up to potentially observe parts of the session or check in with the team if there's any additional questions would be really useful as well. In terms of therapy materials, the team will usually let parents know if we need additional materials um, that are specific to that child. It's often very easy to send some Amazon links of very child-specific toys or materials that we might need to make treatment more successful. Parents are always welcome to come in and do a tour of the center before treatment starts with the kiddo too, just to get a lay of the land and meet the various staff in the office. Parents feel really comfortable that they know the team that is gonna be present at the office while their child is receiving treatment. We're always very happy if parents call in throughout the day to ask questions or just check in on their kids, especially as they're new to therapy. You know, we want to put our families at ease that their kids are being really well taken care of and are available to check in and say, yes, he ate, he's, we're helping him with changing his diaper, whatever kind of those day-to-day concerns might be, um, just to help our parents feel more at ease, especially with the very beginning of treatment. I think overall, just kind of getting prepared that this is a huge change for a very little kid, so there might be crying or um, as we start in ABA and just trying to be as prepared for that as possible. We try to make treatment very fun and we want to be best friends with the kids that we're teaching, but we are also adding a lot of structure and we're adding expectations and instructions that may be difficult or very new for our kids. So they may leave sessions and have cried during the session or sometimes when they arrive to the center, they might get a little sad or even cry. And I think just trying to be as prepared as possible that that's ultimately part of the process of learning in ABA um, and asking a lot of questions, but ultimately knowing that it usually takes a little bit of time, but most of our kids go work through that like crying phase they're getting used to treatment. Um, yeah, so I think those will be good ways to get prepared. And I think taking a tour of the center is a great way to start as well. I, th I agree. And the one thing that I would add to all of that is that if the parent has time, um, uh, at the ibehavioraltraining.com, there's uh, online training that you can do to know more about what the therapists are going to be doing with your kiddo. The more that parents know, of course, the more they uphold what happens in therapy and we know that they do better. So ibehavioraltraining.com is a great place, very inexpensive to get trainings that are online that you can watch again and again and again to, to learn more about what it is that the therapists are doing. Now, Marina, I just so appreciate you doing this with us. Uh, it's been lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you're super busy. Oh, you're very welcome for having me. Thanks, Marina. Have a good week. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Um, just, I, I'm always so appreciative when the BCBAs can, can take a couple of minutes and be with us um, in this format to answer your questions. Hopefully that was helpful to everybody. We're going to take uh, a short break. I'm checking the time. And uh, we're going to come back for a quick segment before we go to Bonnie Yates. So stick with us. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade. 
and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem solving. Effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Welcome back to Autism Live. You know, whenever we can on Thursday, we like to take a moment for mindfulness. And just yesterday, if you were watching the show, we had Karen Nolte on uh, the program with us explaining some of the most recent research that's come out about helping parents to be more effective in their therapy and how uh, mindfulness is uh, uh, combined with ABA techniques is a great way to reduce the parent's stress so that they can be more present for therapy. So um, for our mindfulness moment today, because it is the season, right? I thought we would talk a little bit about sensory and talk particularly about smells. Uh, you know, there's a lesson in skills where as we begin to teach perspective taking for a, a child so that they can see things from another person's point of view, first we teach them sensory perspective taking. So we will set up lots of different experiments. Uh, and one of, the, one of the experiments is that we take little disposable cups and we put things that are very smelly into them and maybe crush them up a little bit so that they are very fragrant. Like maybe you put lemon in one of the cups and you put a candy cane in another cup and you put cinnamon or something that's very cinnamon smelling in another cup. You put all of these cups there and then um, chocolate in one, for instance, and then you either cover the top of the cup with something that's porous, but you can't see through it, like a paper towel, um, or you blindfold the child and you ask them to smell it and, and try to see if they can identify what it is that they're smelling. 
Um, the, it, the lesson is longer than that because then there is a whole thing about they're holding the cup and they can smell it in the cup, but they're asked, you know, mom is in the other room. Can she smell it? No. Why? Because it's right here in the cup and the smell doesn't go that far, right? So it's sensory perspective taking. But there's an element about it today that I want to talk about, which is that smells help us to adjust our moods. Smells are very informative. Just the other day, I, I was someplace where uh, holiday wise, they had all these different scents and people were smelling them. And each time somebody would smell one, they would go, oh, you know what this reminds me of? Oh, this reminds me of this. And they were talking about memories from their life and everybody was in a better mood. Everybody was more relaxed. And, and I was thinking about it and thinking, well, you know, there's three things at play here. When we smell something, we take a big breath, right? It's sort of a cheat. It's a way to get us to take a big breath. You know that's why people start smoking and continue smoking is that they feel good. Even though it burns and it smells and it's terrible, it forces them to take a big inhale. Well, we can do that with just smelling something. We can set up this experiment for ourselves with lemon and cloves and all these things that have holiday memories for us. And we can take a moment, take a deep breath and smell the lemon and then the other element of it is that smells, intense good smells, tend to um, evoke those memories and it tends to get us in a moment. I know it's not really necessarily this moment, but for this exercise, I think it's okay because it shifts mood and I do think that holiday scents tend to give most of us a happy memory. Um, so what if you were to just take a moment and set up four or five of these first for yourself, but then bring your child over and smell them with your child and you don't have to set it up in a Dixie cup. You can just take a moment and go into your refrigerator and take a lemon and hold it up to your nose and smell it, right? And just take that moment. What does it smell like? What does it remind you of? What does it make you feel, right? That is... And a, that is an element of being mindful. Um, and the breath and the taking the moment, I guarantee you, if you did that with four different things in your kitchen right now, your mood would be better when you were done. And do it with your child. Have a moment and smell with your child. My mom used to um, give us a treat when we were kids that she would um, give us an orange and she would cut a hole in the top of it and she would stick a candy cane, break off the hook on the candy cane and stick the candy cane into the orange and then we were supposed to squeeze the orange and suck on the, the candy cane so you would get a rush of orange and peppermint. And if you put oranges and a candy cane in the same room and I get a whiff of it, man, I am right back to childhood memories it's as if my mom is there and that's a warm fuzzy for me. So what is it for you? And what can you help your child to have a warm fuzzy with just with sense? The breath, taking the moment, enjoying the smell of something. I absolutely love it. I was at a, a funeral service years ago um, for a friend's dad and there was a moment um, a rabbi took out this chest that had all these spices in it and he opened it, and I don't know if this is done at all um, Jewish funerals or not, but he opened it up and he said, 
just like um, we're enjoying the last breath of this man's life, I want to pass this around and everybody inhale the sense of these spices as if you're taking in this gentleman for the last time and enjoy it. Don't be sad about it, but treasure, treasure this memory. And it was such a fabulous sense memory kind of thing. And everybody passed this beautiful chest around and the smells of it. It was so amazing. Um, I just thought, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, and smells are a way that we can keep ourselves really present and in a very um, productive and positive way. So take a moment, smell something today, something positive, and see how that makes you mindful. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with Bonnie Yates. Stick with us. Um, being part of this community is really important to a mom um, with someone like Jackson because it really does take a village and you need so much support, you know, to, um, to help bring out all of the amazing qualities and um, skills and talents that our children have. So I'm, I'm just very grateful to everybody who was a part of this. with all sorts of that uh, self-esteem, social skills. They seem to communicate a little bit with each other and they had a lot of friends. Um, the helpers were phenomenal. And I think the social skills for sure, because they, you know, they worked together and they did a couple of group things across the floor and they sang songs together. And I, I yeah, for sure, I think it's a really huge deal. A great program. programs like this show is the person is in front of what we call today a disorder. I think what we're finding is that uh, these sorts of brain challenges that make people unique can actually be gifts in, in ways we haven't discovered in the rest of society to, to bring them out. So when you see a program like this and you see the kids dancing, having fun, and making up jokes, making up the story, I was here when they did that. That was so amazing to watch because they were all focused, they were all present, they were all laughing, they were all getting into the creation of this story. And um, that to me sort of broke the barrier to say, now we're, first we're dealing with people and, and then we're dealing with the challenges. Welcome back to Autism Live. I have on the phone and on Skype right now, Bonnie Yates from the law firm of Hirji and Chow. Uh, and Bonnie is a, an amazing, amazing special education attorney. Bonnie, good morning. Good morning. I love this scarf you got going on. Uh, you want to know the true story of the scarf? Okay. I think my daughter's given away more clothes than anybody I know. 
<laughs> True story. <laughs> and so did this All come right. from her? Throw, throwing my beloved daughter under the bus. Why is that throwing her under the bus? If she's giving clothes away, that's a wonderful, generous thing. Well, it's a snarky comment about how much we all consume. Well, there is that. Uh, but if you're you're consuming it and giving it away, then that makes you a great benefactor. People are yeah, happy. Yeah, well, we're, we're repurposing the Penelope Helen Yates collection today. I love that. I absolutely right. love that. Uh, so, Bonnie, tell us a little bit about Here G and Chow. Here G and Chow is an education law firm in Culver City. We represent kids from, you know, essentially zero to the end of the adult lifespan. We assist with the regional center, school district, um, higher education matters that involve disability discrimination. And um, we're a six attorney firm in Southern California. Okay. And we also give a disclaimer at the start of the show when you're on about the nature of the suggestions that you give tell we're us we're going to give the disclaimer and a shout out okay and, and the shout out the disclaimer is we're answering your questions uh per california law and federal law so if you're in another state and, and if you have a specific problem you should consult the copa list c-o-p-a-a dot net for an attorney in your state um it's not a guarantee but generally these people are well versed in in special ed matters Wonderful. Okay, here's the shout out. Okay. Um, in something like one week, we went from becoming, from being a three attorney firm to a six attorney firm, and I'm really excited about Ooh. that. Uh, the way that happened is, first of all, Devin Brothers, who passed the bar three or four years ago, but was working in one of the southern states, decided that, you know, it was really a lot more, um, enjoyable to practice in California, so she joined the firm. And, and then, then, this was the really, really good thing, um, like maybe a few days before Thanksgiving, um, at about 10.30 at night, oh, it was a Friday before Thanksgiving, I found out that both of our law school grads passed the bar on their first time, Diana Maltz and Alex Rodriguez. And the pass rate was was hovering around 40%. And I was just so pleased because both of these people have been amazingly capable new attorneys, and they seem way more confident than I ever felt and way more capable just attacking big problems. And they both passed, and that was really great. So we didn't have to have the whole office problem of, uh, gee, she passed and he didn't, or vice versa. So we've gone from being a three-attorney firm to a six-attorney firm, and I can't tell you how much I like that when I think about the fact that the school district knows that there are six of us. So <laughs> stay tuned about that. Nobody's going to pay for us to bet. You know? I love it. Um, so that's the shout-out. I love it. You've been lean and mean, and now you're plump and fancy. I love yeah, it. Yeah, well, I've always been plump, but that's a different topic anyway. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's not go there because I don't want to talk about how plump I am. Uh, okay, so I've got some questions for you, Bonnie. Shall I jump right in? Please. Okay, so I feel like the goals on my first grade son's IEP are too easy. He has ASD but is smart. Do I need an educational consultant or a lawyer? Okay. He has ASD but is smart. 
No. He has ASD and is smart. Ah. And is smart. Many of the children that we work with who have autism spectrum disorder have IQs that are above normal, and I've got several now that are above 130. Okay, so the, the problem with, with that is that districts that have kids that have high IQs with a disability don't seem to get beyond the fact of the high IQ. And I don't entirely fault them for this. I mean, if they're in awe of the, of the intelligence of somebody that has an IQ of 130 or 143, as one of my kids says, hey, I'm right there with them. You know, like I want to sit at your feet and see what your amazing brain can do. But at the same time, we now know it's possible to be gifted and disabled. And so, you know, it may be that for sincere reasons, they are writing the goals in a manner that's that's too easy. I mean, I don't know why they would write them to be too easy if, if they're overemphasizing his intelligence. But if they are too easy, I mean, we see that a lot because districts have to be accountable on goals. So we see them, you know, saying things like, well, the, the classroom teacher is going to work on it, so we don't need to write a goal. Well, you got to say no to that because if it's an area of unique need, you need it to be measured, and it won't be measured unless there's a goal. She's asking, you know, how – what do I need to do to make the goals be appropriate him for a year from now? And I guess my first question is, do you have an outside source, let's say the BCBA from your home ABA program or a neuropsychologist, someone who's going to be able to help you write appropriate goals based on your uh, present level of performance? You need that. And then she's asking, do I need a, an educational consultant or do I need a lawyer? I mean, a, a, a well-trained and knowledgeable advocate can certainly assist you with um, attempting to write goals that are measurable, but they shouldn't be the source necessarily of what the goals are going to be because I don't know that they're in the position to know. With that said... I did recently dial up, and I can't remember whether we talked about it on the program or not, but I honestly, I Googled accommodations for children with autism, and there is a lot of stuff now on the Internet about goals, you know, goal banks and things like that for kids with autism. But really, you need to have in mind what you want them to be able to do in a year, and then the goals have to be measurable. They have to be understandable and measurable. And when you get into understandable, there's a lot of gobbledygook. When you get into measurable, it's hard to measure if you have too many things in the goal. It's hard to measure if the prompt hierarchy isn't specified and so on. So I don't know that you need a lawyer for this project, but what I will suggest to you is if the goals are too low, there's probably other problems too, and that might require a more macro look at the whole case, and that might involve at least a consultation with an attorney most of whom will, you know, do an initial consultation for free. So those would be a couple ways to go at it. Okay. Uh, I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, second question, I am so done with my daughter's school. I want to take her out and have them pay for private school. How do I do this? Okay. Private school. We're seeing more and more private school cases because there aren't enough good public options. There's more or less a template for how you do a unilateral private placement case, and this is what it looks like. 
in order to justify placing a child in a private school, you have to show that the district's offer did not was not appropriate. And then you have to show that the child made progress, good progress in, in the private school. So how do you do that? Well, you have to either go to the IEP team meeting and indicate that you think that the, the child isn't making progress and can't make progress in a public placement. And the district has 10 business days to correct well, 10 business days to make another placement offer. They're entitled to time to make another placement offer. And after that point, theoretically, you should be able to privately place. The thing is, uh, administrative law judges are not um, going to be too happy with a parent that, that sort of singularly and without uh, expertise pulls their child out of school. So, um, in the perfect case, which almost never happens, but we had one this week, parents said we want an RTC, Residential Treatment Center. They already went through this with their older son. They spent about $300,000. Now it seems like the younger child's going to need a similar placement. We're trying to avoid the expense. I said, well, if you want to do this in a bulletproof way, you won't place him until you've had an outside evaluation by a neuropsychologist and you have to give the district time to assess as well. They're entitled to assess. You have to make the child available for assessment. And then what you're going to do is you're going to write the district a letter and or have an IEP meeting. And based on the report findings and the recommendation of the neuropsych, she or he is going to recommend residential treatment and not um, or, or private school, whatever it is, uh, and rather than um, it coming from the parents because the parents you know, we'll, uh, the parents are suspect as far as the administrative law judge goes, and administrative law judge doesn't really believe uh, that parents should be making these decisions without expertise. So it's a little bit of a process. Then once we get the kiddo placed, we are going to ask for at least one quarter. But well, once we get in place, the first thing I'm going to do is get baselines from, from, you know, either the testing or stuff I set up with the school. And then we're going to require at least one quarter of strong improvement data to show that, the, that what we picked instead was appropriate and, and, and the child made progress. So you can do this. It's obviously much easier to do if you have a bad history and there are a lot of violations. Um, the way you do it is after that improvement data time period has passed, you file for due process on the grounds that the district did not offer a fate and you seek reimbursement for the private placement. It'll probably resolve by settlement. If it doesn't and the hearing officer makes an order that the parent is entitled to reimbursement, that operates as the stay put. So that's how you do it. Okay. I just am having, I stopped for a second to plug phone in because phone was dying. Uh so, uh, thanks for bearing with me there. Uh, no that's, problem. That's wonderful. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the next question then. Uh, my 15-year-old daughter is, and we don't know what the rest of that sentence was, um, I got moved to a different program. It is an SD class for autism, but it's all boys. I think that's inappropriate. I want a mix of girls and boys. Is that possible? You know, we're seeing more and more of this, Bonnie, and I always feel bad for the parents of uh, kiddos that are girls on the spectrum because I've heard this complaint from moms uh, many times before that they're looking for a program or a classroom for their daughter and 
there are a lot of things that are right about the placement, except that it, the, the rest of the, the class is all boys. Do parents have any, you know, can a parent object to the setting based on that? You know, I didn't do the research and I still could. I just didn't have time. I think it's going to be really hard to argue that a gender, uh, a male gendered classroom is a denial of fate per se. Uh, you would really want to show how by not having girls in the classroom, you couldn't meet the unique needs of the, of the student. And it occurs to me that one way possibly to have that peer exposure is, is through mainstreaming. The reason we have four to one or five to one boys in autism classrooms has to do with the fact that autism is disproportionately a, a male disorder. I just don't know if, you know, for policy reasons, you're going to get a judge to, art, to agree uh, that the classroom ratios have to change because I think it's kind of impossible uh, to easily anyway create a gender balanced special day class when we know that the um, the autism distribution is not equal between the sexes. Yeah, I, it's, it's almost like, is there anything that's possible about that? But it's an interesting... But you could certainly have an IEP meeting to discuss the issue. Has that been done? Well, we don't know based on the question, and it sounds like because uh, the person says that they got moved to a different program, it sounds like it's a fairly recent uh, placement in this SD classroom. Um, so perhaps... Maybe they want to write us and give us some more facts, and we okay. can come back to the question next week. We'll put that out to them. Okay, uh, the last question uh, this week is, my son has OCD and the principal believes in flooding. Uh, which is driving my kids nuts. What are my kiddos' rights? And so you and I were having a little conversation about this separate. For people who don't know, we talk about this a lot on the show with Dr. Doreen Grampichet, that when, um, when people have sensory issues or OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, there is a technique, there are a couple of techniques used frequently to combat this. Uh, one is systematic desensitization, and we talk about that on the show all the time, about a very slow moving way to desensitize whatever it is that's that you know is causing anxiety with the individual so if somebody is um for instance afraid of loud noises that we would start by having the noise very very small in the background playing and we would very slowly over a period of time inch it up so that the person would very slowly get accustomed to this sound and build up a tolerance uh so to speak Flooding is when you put somebody in a circumstance where not only um, are they getting the, the stimulus that is upsetting to them, but they're, they're getting like a mega dose of it. It's, it's the equivalent of throwing somebody in the deep end of the swimming pool and hoping right. that they swim. And, you know, sometimes that works for some people. Um, but for other people, it can be very anxiety provoking. Uh, we were talking about the example that if somebody's afraid of snakes, with the systematic desensitization, you would start by sh having a picture of a snake, a small snake, a snake across the room, have the picture get closer, get bigger, get bigger, then a video of a snake, and then eventually you'd have a snake somewhere across the room from them um, and slowly bring them up to one snake, then have them touch one snake. With flooding, you would put them in a room with a snake person who maybe had 20 snakes. So, you know, the, the fact that the principal 
is really into the concept of flooding is very concerning to me. So having explained all that, Bonnie, back to the question, my son has OCD and the principal believes in flooding, which is driving my kid nuts. What are my kiddos' rights? Do, does a parent, does a child have a right to say this is not okay? Of course, if the, if the child is uh, responding in a way that's negative, I think the way to deal with this, I mean, you could just write the principal a polite letter and include, you know, case cita uh, citations to scholarly articles about how this is inappropriate for a person with autism or sensory issues, or you probably are going to have to, you know, and I suppose you could try to talk to him first, and what you're going to have to say is, look, we're going to have to have an IEP meeting. I'm going to bring in my occupational therapist or my BCBA or somebody who can address why the 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 uh, ultra desensitization approach is actually regressive for the child, and I'd rather just work this out with you and not have to do it at an IEP meeting. I'm not saying this isn't good for some kids; it's just not good for my kid. And you give the principal a way to back out without public shaming. If that doesn't work, you have to do the public shaming. Okay, and when you do public shaming, is that is that a lawyer? Is that calling the news? Well, you you're, you're, not necessarily. You're, you're going to have an IEP meeting at which you talk about this and you try to reach an accommodation. And if you can't, you're going to have to go to informal dispute resolution or due process. But it seems to me that you might be able to talk the principal into a better understanding about this. Um, you know, I've certainly talked to psychologists that, that – differ on the rate at which you do the desensitization, but in thinking about it and talking about it with you, it occurred to me there's, you know, a famous scene in George Orwell's 1984 where the way they torture people is they figure out the thing that they're most afraid of. Let's say you're afraid of rats, and they put you in a closed room with a million rats, and the rats run over you and all this other stuff, and that's how they... they you know, do destructive mind control. So right. I suppose you could mention you, you know, don't want to necessarily get into Orwell, but I, you do need articles that support your position that this isn't good for your child and for kids who present like your child. I think you should be able to find something. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm rushing through the answer a little bit because I want, we have like five minutes left or something. Yes. Exactly. But, okay. So minutes. one of my personal goals for 2019 is is to get us through the California dyslexia guidelines. We started on this, and then we stopped, and we've done a bunch of other things, but I'm going to really try to get us through this by doing a little bit every week. Okay. And then, and then after we get done with that, we'll do a whole unit on assessments. But uh, information about uh, reading and, and language uh, problems has become, I think, a lot more important um, for the autism community as we sort of did this for longer and we saw that a, a percentage of the kids, a, you know, a, a noticeable percentage of the kids, in addition to having problems uh, more uh, classically associated with sort of DSM, autism uh, have reading problems. And so we just got a very little way into the California dyslexia guidelines uh, I think it was in the beginning of 2018. Here they are. Can you see them? Yes. Um, Googleable, Googleable, and printoutable. The first part about the dyslexia guidelines, just to sort of summarize what we talked about, 
is that we've learned that dyslexia is a treatable disorder and that actually if you do dyslexia intervention for kids with language learning disabilities and you do a pre and post PET scan, you can see that the structure of the brain changes in response to appropriate dyslexia remediation. And so although these are guidelines and the state of California was not um, brave enough to direct each district to do this, which is what they should have done. This is kind of like the best practices for dyslexia and, and language-based learning disorders. So um, the, the, the discussion goes on to talk about how to intervene and when to intervene. And the point about how and when to intervene is that uh, Public schools tend to wait till second or third grade to intervene for a child with autism. And the authors of the publication say that's way too late. If you wait until the child has really glaring spelling or reading problems, you've missed a big window in which you could actually start doing meaningful intervention for the child. Uh, so in order to help with this process, they created kind of a red flags list that we're going to talk about um, briefly now. And while they said this is not an exhaustive list and each unique individual presents uniquely, these are some of the things um, that you may be able to see. So it's important for parents to kind of know what the literacy benchmarks are for the child's age and to be on the lookout for any of these problems. So now I'm just gonna like hit you with a list of all the things that, that you might see in somebody as early as preschool or, or, or even earlier. Okay, so baby talk. The child is hard to understand or when they speak it sounds like baby talk. That's a red flag. The child has difficulty recognizing his or her own name in print. The child has trouble following a rhyming sequence or rhyming with words. Um, the child has lack of interest in books. The child does not understand that a book is read right side up rather than upside down or sideways or whatever. Um, the child is having left to right directionality when looking at books. Um, the, the child is having difficulty remembering the letters of the alphabet or how to spell his or her name. Uh, the child is having trouble learning his or her colors. Uh, the child is not developing an age-appropriate um, vocabulary. The child is having difficulty pronouncing familiar words. The child is exhibiting frustration with fine motor skills such as coloring, pasting, and cutting with scissors. Uh, the child is having difficulty learning numbers, days of the week, uh, shapes. The child is having difficulty telling and recalling a story in the correct sequence. Um, so I find this really fascinating because it shows us how profound the process of, of reading really is. And it also shows us how um, with a learning language based disorder like dyslexia, it, it's not just reading and writing. It's, it's other skills as well. Now, it is, it is not unusual for preschoolers or even early kindergartners to still develop the following signs and behavior. Um, difficulty with anticipating later developing sounds, including S, R, uh, V, T, H, C, H, and P, 
consonant blends such as SWST and STR. Occasional lack of interest in reading with a preference for engaging in more active play. Confusion over letter names, especially ones that look or sound familiar. So that kind of gets us up to the beginning of kindergarten, and then there's kind of the red flags for kindergarten. Should I go on? Yeah. Okay, kindergarten. That's when formal reading instruction begins. So students in kindergarten receive active instruction in developing phonemis, phonemic awareness and phonics. So that, that becomes interesting too, because I'm, you know, thinking back to the way my own kid um, with autism learned how to read, and it wasn't the same as my other kids, but he didn't get stuck. Like he had a method for, memorizing I think the way the whole word looked as opposed to he couldn't really phonetically decode but for whatever reason he didn't end up with a reading disorder except for of course there's a whole problem of of reading comprehension which is a sort of a separate topic um anyway one of the one of the things that's a kindergarten goal is learning the to recognize and sound out the alphabet uh in kindergarten by the end of the first semester so if your child exhibits difficulty doing those things, that's um, a red flag. Kids uh, who are more likely to have dyslexia are going to have difficulty creating, let's say, a rhyme for a one-syllable word like hat or cat. They're going to have difficulty taking a compound word like rainbow and showing you that it can be broken up into rain and bow. Uh, they have inability to separate words into their individual sounds, so dog would be d uh, g. Difficulty with letter sound correspondence, so let's say good, you know, corresponds to the to the letter G for the first letter. Um, inability to remember the names of the letters of the alphabet or consistent confusion over the letters of the alphabet. A tendency to read words with no connection to the letters on the page. Inability to track words with one's finger when following along with oral reading. See, I find this fascinating because the neurology of this is, is so um, profound. It's so pervasive. Um, a heavy reliance on the pictures in a story to read. Difficulty remembering basic sight words like to, the, look, and my. Difficulty sounding out one-syllable words, dog, hop, bat. Uh, the student complains that he does not like to read and is reading avoidant. Um, difficulty understanding segmentation. And then sort of for end of kindergarten, it's still typical to have difficulty with some of these uh, signs uh, really through, I guess, difficulty till the middle of kindergarten. Difficulty with later developing sounds like the V, T, H, and C, H, and consonant blends when speaking. Confusion over B and D. Use of picture cues to help with unknown words when reading. Use of phonemic spelling and a tendency to transpose letter positions in high-frequency words, such as uh, W-I-H-T for W-I-T-H. I'm almost done here. Um, use of consistent punctuation and um, difficulty making letter formations correctly. Uh, letter uh, word reversal, so writing the, the word, you know, backwards. Boredom when listening to chapter books and a preference for picture books, and then preference for other activities over reading. And then it goes on to what you'll see in second grade through third grade. 
uh, and so on. And I next week I'll just pull out some for each age group. I won't go on as exhaustively, but I wanted people to see that there's really a lot to look for, and and you can do it at home with your child, and and then this becomes something important to bring to the IEP team. Most of my kids with dyslexia that haven't had autism are not getting made eligible for special education until second or third grade. And by the time you're a third grader with a, a reading disability, you're probably already developing problems with self-esteem and, and confidence. And I think a lot of people, Bonnie, they their child gets diagnosed with autism. And I've heard this time and time again. It's like people stop looking to see is there more going on. Yeah. And, and your child could easily have autism and dyslexia. And, and both of them are making it harder to get at the other one. So yep. I think this well is uh, very interesting information uh, for parents to have. And if your child, if any of these red flags, Bonnie, where can they get the, they just Google California Google dyslexia? Google California dyslexia guidelines. Okay, fabulous. It's free for the taking. There we go. And we're out of time, but Bonnie, tell us about Here G and Chow again and how we can connect with you. Well, here Jean Chow is inside today, staying out of the rain, but we're really grateful for the rain here in Southern California, and we hope everybody is safe. Um, we can be reached at 310-391-0330, and uh, our website is lawyer4children.com. Wonderful. We appreciate you so much, Bonnie. Have a good... I guess I should say one more thing. Yes. Sometimes there's a little lull in the month of December. Yes. So if people want intakes, it's a good time to call. Ooh, like hearing that. Okay. okay. Just say it. Just putting it out there. I'll put it out there. <laughs> Absolutely put it out there. Thank you so much for your time. And you bet. please give our love to everybody at Here G and Chat. Okay, right back at you. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. That's the amazing Bonnie Yates. Um, wonderful to have her with us on a regular basis. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have from We Play, Elton Chu, I think is how you say his last name, but we'll find out from him. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. Come on. My name is Molly Rarick and I'm founder of Reed's Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA. Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life. My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the, the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they want to make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses. We are here today because um, I, my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell. 
thinking about uh, his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing. I cannot be more proud. Hard times lead to good choices. Many times you're going to find out that change is coming and it's not something that you like to see. Things sometimes just don't work. Sometimes you have to put your child in a new school. Sometimes you have to put them in a different classroom. Often you'll see this with perhaps special education versus regular education or everyone's favorite, puberty. All bets are off then. However, these things happen when they need to happen. So making that hard choice is super, super scary. But when you open those doors to look at things that maybe you've never dreamed you would have to look at, you're going to find help that you never expected. There are a lot of people out there dealing with the same things that you are dealing with, and there is a level of help that you never even knew existed. So don't be afraid when it's time to look at the scary problems that you're having. When those things come up, when the aggression increases, when things are falling apart at home, when you're getting the calls from the schools, don't be afraid. Reach out. Find out what you need to do. You might need to look at new schools, new housing. You might need to access new levels of service. But I am telling you, you're going to see amazing things. There are children that, as they grow, do things with the help of others, very specialized support that you never thought they could do. So once you do that and you meet the child where he or she is and you give them what they need, everybody can do better and you're going to see amazing progress. Welcome back to Autism Live. You know, we call this period of time our toy festival. Every year we take a period of time in our shows and we talk about play and how play can enrich a child's life, all children, including our children on the autism spectrum. And in fact, I think that the, having the right toy for a child on the spectrum is even that much more important. We try to showcase those toys. We have a toy and gift guide right now, the annual uh, Autism Live 2018 Toy and Gift Guide. It is available on our new website and you can go there right now and click on it and see all the toys that we're recommending and that are award winners. Right now, joining us via Skype is Elton Chu, who is the CEO of a wonderful toy company called We Play. Elton, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, everyone. We're thrilled to have you here, and I want to I take a minute to showcase some of the amazing toys that you guys have, and I want to start with the toy that won in our baby category. It won the Top Toy Award, and this is the Crystal Carnival. Um, it is an amazing toy. I'm going to get it out and play with it, but as, uh, as we go to do that, Elton, um, maybe you could talk to a us a little bit about We Play and, and what We Play is all about. Yes. Um, we Play is a, a toy brand from Taiwan. Um, we tried our best to design and develop a lot of different toys 
no matter it's like a, sm a smaller items like today you what you have for the crystal carnival we can play on the table or you get uh, some big item you can put on the floor to train the balancing and uh, uh, body coordinations with the kids and instructors uh, we have a wide range of different products which can help the mainstream kids and also the off mainstream kids to develop them uh, their bodies and their mind and then also their social skills well, and, and it is, you, I, I honestly want to say to people, you've got to go to the website and tootle around the website and see some of the amazing toys. I, I, get, I would guess that OTs, occupational therapists that work with kids, just love your site because, as you were saying, it's a way for kids to use their bodies and, and the colors for the things that you do. You make stuff that is so well made. So this crystal castle, and I'm, I didn't want to make a bunch of noise while you were talking, so I didn't pull all of it out. Um, but one of the reasons why this won the top toy is because of how well made it is. You know, there are all kinds of toys that are out there that are shape sorters uh, and things of that nature, but this is unlike anything else we had seen. Because when a toy does a bunch of different things, boy, we get excited over here at Autism Live. And first of all, there are all different colors here. We have some of these that are clear. I want to pull one out that's clear. Uh, and uh, so that you can see they're red, um, they're a wonderful yellow color and blue. And all of the toys, um, they're, um, so you see it's an elephant shape, but it's got the hole in the middle. So not only can we work on shapes, we can work on colors, and we've got the elephants, and we've got other shapes as well. Um, and these can be stacked. They've got little parts of them that can be stacked in lots of clever ways. We played with this with a group of kids, Elton, and it was crazy how many different things they could do with these toys. They were, we saw creativity just all over the place with the different things. But in a very basic way, um, for a, a kiddo starting out, they can just put it on the, sh the shape sorter here so they match up the square with the square to be able to line them up. And we've all seen that toy a million times, but this is that on steroids. I just love it. I love the way they feel. They have such a great feel to them, um, and uh, they're non-toxic, so if a child starts to teethe on this, all good. My understanding is that you can even put them in the dishwasher to clean them, which I love that, Elton. Um, yes. Talk to us a little bit about why you guys love this toy. Um, actually, uh, you can see that this is, uh, 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 how to say that, in a, like a big improvement for uh, traditional toys. Okay, so, uh, you know, like, uh, autism children, they have the difficulty to understand some abstract uh, ideas. So, it, like, uh, something like when you try to teach them the colors, more like uh, the uh, when you give them the idea of red colors, is very hard. But if you uh, teach them with uh, some, some specific shape, like, oh, that's a red elephant, it can be easy, uh, uh, they can get get the idea easier than the abstract idea. So we put a, a different shape like elephants, owl, or fish to put uh, to design the products. And also you mentioned about the material we use. It's very, uh, uh, we try different kinds of materials, but you know, like transparent products, sometimes uh, uh, when you fold it or it breaks, it can create a, a, a sharp edge. But we use this kind of materials, which we found that originally uh, 
they use for the oxygen mask, but we may get harder and stronger. So it's very safe and non-toxin for the kids. And so is uh, in in the development of our products, we think about uh, a lot of different factors, the kids, uh, how to help them to uh, learn and also the basic thing, like, what's the most important is the safety of the kids. So uh, we need to uh, think about a lot of elements while we are developing our products. It's really fabulous. And I'm just, I stacked some of them here, but I also want to show you that it comes with these wonderful cards because a lot of times parents go, well, that's great, Shannon, but I'm not an ex-teacher and I don't know what to do with a toy. But WePlay has given you these cards. And so, for instance, this is an imitation and creation card and it tells you what age range each one of the shapes should be that you can work with creating the shape and having your child copy it. Then there are ones where they can... Um, put the, the shape on top of it um, to match it to the shape. There are ones that are addition. I mean, this is a very clever toy. You don't have to rethink anything. You don't have to come up with anything. It's got a million different things that it could do. And one of the things that I had not noticed before, but I love it that much more, is that we've got the, the square shape and we've got the triangle shape and then we've got the circle shape. And when you put it on the circle shape, you have to turn it. It's got a little screw feature that you turn it to have it come off so that we're also working on a lot of fine motor skills that will help with handwriting down the road. Elton, I love this toy so much. It's the reason why um, we chose it as the top toy in the baby category. We just think that it is divine. And I think it speaks really well to a lot of the, the, the different items that you have. But people should go to the website. Tell them what website uh, to go to. Um, you can find us, uh, uh, find us and more information uh, about our products from uh, e-weplay.com. So it's weplay.com, which is fabulous. Now, yeah, e- sorry, e-weplay.com. Oh, okay. E-weplay, okay. And then um, I want to show right here, I've got the cookie festival. So if your child yes. really likes, um, you know, tactile things and stacking things, here's another one. And I didn't want to open these all before. Here's, here's the one that is opened for me. Uh, I'm having a good time here. So look at these fabulous cookie shapes. And, and I can't even tell you, sensory-wise, people pick these up and everybody loves the feel of them. They've got these little ridges on the side of them and the cookies can go together like this and you can stack them. But I love that you do it in a very non-traditional way. It comes with this banana. And I can stack things on the banana, and I can stack them this way or that way, and make shapes, and they uh, they go together, um, and you can balance them. It's so so much fun. You can put this in a room with a group of kids any age, and they will play with them. But this is so good for our little ones. You guys are so good at these kinds of toys. Uh, oh my gosh, how much do I love your pea pods? Your pea pods are like the cutest thing ever. Elton, talk to us Thank a little you. bit while I'm taking them out about the, the pea pods. Oh, um, it's a very, how to say it, oh, we, we got ideas from like using chopsticks, but instead of use one hand, we use two hands. So um, uh, from the beginning, you can uh, open the beans and then uh, take out the, uh, take out the, uh, the, the, beans, uh, uh, the beans and do some basic uh, stacking games. Mm-hmm. And then after you get used to it, you can use the, the outside shell 
and then uh, as a tools and then more like uh, you can like how to use it as a spoon or how to uh, how to screw up some uh, scoop out something and then they're just like, fabulous you just do some like a ch chopstick jobs but you instead of uh, just using one hand but we use two hands and then we can do different stacking games it can help the kids to improve their fine motor skills a lot Come on back um yeah so okay here's one of the pods and this comes boxed with three of them and so they open up the pods and there are different shapes now you're going to see the green one a little bit different because we shoot on a green screen so it looks brown but this is actually green great great colors and these again they they're such a good feel and they have different um tactile things on them so this one has little nubbies on it and this has a swirl and this one is smooth so they just feel good and then the, ch the children can do all kinds of things with them i love this because we talk all the time about functional pretend play and about playing with food and a lot of times when you go to the toy store or you go online and you go to buy functional pretend play with food it's a lot of stuff that isn't healthy elton and this is super healthy. We're, we're looking at things that are more vegetable-based. For those of you who are eating things that are, you know, not out of a drive-through and want to have toys for your kids that talk about health, a pea, what's healthier than a pea pod, right? The kids will love this. And then you get three of them, and you can mix and match. And one of them comes with a different cover that isn't as see-through. It's actually green, not brown, but you're seeing it as brown on my screen. So I love the pea pods. I'm in love with the pea pods i also have one of your toys here as you were saying out you have bigger toys so yes. this one is the icy ice building set um and for your kiddos that are a little bit younger um and i'm of course i'm gonna uh i want to note first of all you've got all these shapes right but it's a shape within a shape so this one in the middle pops out as yes. well and and it can go between them but I'm not going to be good at it right here because in the moment. So you see that you can do this here and then you can attach this here and you can build a castle. Um, I love it because you've, you've thought about my house as a parent and that the pieces can go back together. There's a, a box of them that comes that they're going to take up a very small amount of space, but children can build a fort with this and get really creative. You can leave that piece in the center or you can take it out. Love this too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. we, but we should talk about there's all kinds of things in your, um, on your website. There are bigger toys that involve balance um, yes. and building a bridge. There's, you know, the toys that when you go to a, a center and you see, oh, my gosh, where did they get these toys? These are the best toys, and it's a way for my child to put together a block and a pole and then create a balance beam for themselves. Um, what's the one that you guys have? Is it, I think it's called the river, isn't it? It's something that you put together. Yeah, uh, we have the Rainbow River Stone and Wavy Textile Pass, which yeah. uh, can help the, the kids training their balance skills from point to point and then to the linear movements. And then also we have something for the dy uh, dynamic balancing skills de developments. I just, I'm in love with your site. Uh, the things that you make are so well made and they're so exciting visually to our kids, but they're 
I, I love that it isn't so ridiculously simple. Um, I love that when they go to stack these toys, it's not the traditional block where all they have to do is stack a block on a block on a block. Um, because our kids are more advanced than that now. Our kids can, can go on, on an iPad and they can do all kinds of things. And I see that their brains crave these things that it's not the traditional stacking, but they still go together and they can balance them. I just yes. love it. Elton, your stuff is really cool. Thank you. <laughs> so what else do we need to know about WePlay if we want to get some WePlay toys? Um, you can uh, we get uh, online. You can find a lot of stores, online stores, uh, to find to find our products. And then uh, one more things I want to add on to our uh, cookie cookie festivals. Yes. Uh, when you take out a block, you can actually you can open the cover the, the lid. I can open. You can the, open it. So of the cookie. We have like two colors. The, the cookie festival. Yes. You you have you can open the top the color part. It comes off. <gasps> Elton, I did not know this. Look at this. Yes. It comes off. Elton, so I did not know that. You can do a lot that. of like color matching games and then uh, you can interchange because and then also while you are doing the stacking games, um, some of the blocks you can put in like something like rice or beans to create different weight. Yeah, and, and sounds too. So you see the too. balancing banana over there. Yes. And that, that will be very challenging for the, uh, the kids to do to, to different kinds of balancing games. Oh yeah, oh. And Elton. then also, it's not just a block. And then why are you putting like a different beans or uh, rice or dry pasta? And you can shake it, and then create different sound. So like sound matching games also uh, possible with this uh, with this uh, set. I love it, absolutely love it. And so I've got my banana here. You know what's super fun is to take and put these in the in the hands of kids and watch what they do with it, and the possibilities are endless. We play has really thought it out and made it so that you know there are, there are just so many things. I love the user guides because they make great sense and they show you some of the towers that the kids can build. Um, these are super creative toys. I love that you guys talk about all the different things that you're working on with the toys. Uh, it's truly, truly wonderful. I just missed the part where the color came off, but that's a super cool added feature. I did not know yeah. that, so thank you for adding that. So again, um, tell us the website again. The e-weplay.com. Okay. And I also want to say that if you go to our toy guide right now, um, and so you click on the toy guide, which is on our new website, which is http colon slash slash beta dot autism hyphen live click on the um the toy guide you can also get to it on our blog on the old site just go on the blog and you're right there at the the toy site um if you go on and you find the crystal castle um the no i'm sorry yes the crystal carnival um there's a place where you can buy the crystal carnival right there but that will also take you to the we play website where you can look at other items that they have as well elton we want to thank you so much uh, because you also were wonderful and donated some toys to our sensitive santa so we want to thank you for that and thank My you pleasure. for making so many wonderful toys for our kiddos thank you toys and, also, and activities uh, for more weight and sorry, and, and also the more way and then more demonstrations, you can find us, uh, find us on Facebook, 
we have a lot of different videos which can uh, which show you how to play with our uh, our our products, and then also how uh, how the uh, parents or teachers or the therapist can help the kids with different programs. Love it. Thank you so much for being with us. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We play and we do and we play with we play. Uh, we are going to take a break and then we are going to come back because we have another toy company that um, uh, Jim Garber is going to be with us from Discover Toys. So all these other things that you see on my desk, I can't wait to show you. So the Festival of Toys, it continues. We'll be right back after these messages. month of September I figured I'd show you guys how to make a task completion chart to help your kids get through the hardest parts of the day. Parents have been writing into our host Shannon Penrod the hardest parts of the day are waking up in the morning, after school, and getting ready for bed. Please keep in mind you can always modify the task completion chart to focus on the skills that your family needs most. The template we'll be using today to make the task completion chart you can find at facebook.com slash autism live. Alright, let's get to it. The materials you'll be needing are the template, cardstock, scissors, hole puncher, glue, pipe cleaner, velcro, and photos or images. We find it more reinforcing for kids if you use images of themselves doing the tasks that you're trying to get them to complete. So what I have here to start off are photos of myself doing all the tasks that we're going to add to our task completion chart today. The first step you're going to be doing is printing the template from facebook.com slash autismlive. I have it here and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to trim out the top. We don't need that, that's just totally excess. Now that I trim my three templates, I'm going to label each one with a different part of the day that we're focusing on, such as waking up, after school, and getting ready for bed. Now that I've finished labeling the templates with the appropriate time of the day, I'm going to attach the photos that go with it. For bedtime, the tasks I chose were getting ready for school, putting away toys, putting on pajamas, and brushing teeth. Now repeat this for all the rest of the day. Now that I've added the photos to the template, I am taking this along with my heavy cardstock to hold all my tokens. I'm going to line them up and make three hole punches. I'm going to take this pipe cleaner and attach the pages together with it. We're almost done putting this together. Next, I'm going to take my Velcro. I'm going to put them underneath each picture and then I'm gonna add four on the very edge too. Now that I've attached the rough side of the Velcro to the template, now I'm gonna take the softer side and add these to the tokens. You can use whatever you want for the tokens, whatever your child finds reinforcing. They could be stickers, images, spacemen, Pokemon, whatever they like. Before you use your task completion chart, it's really important that you do a preference assessment to see what your child finds reinforcing that day. Once you have that established, then you can tell them the rule for how this task completion chart works. So every time they get one of their tasks completed, they add a token to it. And the way the task completion chart functions is like a token economy. So after they put a token under each one of these tasks, they can trade it in for their reinforcer for the day. Now that you've made your task completion chart, hopefully your child will be able to use it on a daily basis and help them through those difficult times of the day. Well, until next time, craft on. Bye, guys. Can you see me flying by your side? 
Welcome back to Autism Live. We're continuing with our Festival of Toys, and right now we're welcoming Jim Garber on Skype to talk about some of the wonderful toys that I have on my desk. I'm squeezing my, my wonderful ball here. Uh, Jim is joining us from Discovery Toys, and I was just saying to him that we're going to have to do this in two segments because uh, Discovery Toys won so many awards in our in our toy and gift guide this year that we, we're not going to be able to fit them all in one segment. So, Jim, welcome to Autism Live. Thank you, Shin. So thrilled to be here. And tell us what your role is at Discovery Toys. So I, I'm affectionately known as the toy guy here at Discovery Toys, but uh, my official title is Senior Product Manager. I've been with the company about 13 years now, and I'm responsible for uh, product development, uh, product sourcing. Now, my sound is cutting out a little bit. Uh, Eric, is that happening for you too? So, you know what we're going to do? I think I think what we're going to do, Eric, we're going to pause for a second, play another commercial. We're going to get you on the phone so we can hear and see you. So hang on okay. one second. We're going to go to commercial. Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself, how on earth can I afford ABA therapy for my child? Well, the short answer is you can't. No one can. It's really expensive and it's overwhelming to most families. But the story doesn't end there, fortunately. The first thing that I want you to think about is tapping insurance resources. So many insurance companies are paying for ABA therapy right now. So that's your first best bet. Make sure and see if your insurance company is providing benefits for ABA therapy and check back often. Now, if you see that you don't have insurance right now for ABA, don't panic, there are still other resources. The next place to go is to your local support groups and ask them what local resources there are. That's a great place to ask for information because often states and even counties have support for ABA. And then beyond that, you might consider applying for grants. There are many fabulous grants out there to help you to get support for your ABA therapy. But most important, it's, it's absolutely essential that you get ABA services for your child. We know that that's essential for all of our children and that you won't be able to do it on your own. So seek out those services and support groups that will help you to fund your ABA journey. It's really important to remember that all behaviors happen for a reason. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have Jim Garber. He's with us and we've got better sound right now. So welcoming Jim Garber from Discovery Toys. You know, I love the Festival of Toys and my desk right now is a party. Um, I am so excited to talk to you, Jim, about the wonderful toys that you guys have. You guys won so many awards um, in, in our 2018 Autism Live Toy and Gift Guide. We are just loving you guys this year. So take just one second and talk to us about Discovery Toys. Where are you guys based out of? Uh, we are based out of Livermore, California. And the company's been in existence now for 40 years. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary. And the company was started by a woman named Nima. And she started the company because she was looking for good that would help her daughter has special needs at the very young and uh, she was hard pressed to find some good products so she decided to go out and sort the best toys that she could find 
help the child development, she decided to make those available to others. And she formed the well, I, I, she's done an amazing job. You've all done an amazing job, uh, which is which is why we're in love with you. Now, I do have a little disclaimer to say that we shoot on a green screen, so some of the toys are going to appear differently for our viewers on their screen because it will take out anything that's green. And, of course, there's lots of green in your toys. So I just want to say that when you go to see these on the shelf, they look a little bit different. Now, I want to start uh, in our toy guide with the thing that won our Baby Sensory Award. That every each category, we had a sensory toy, and this is called the Super Yummy. And, you know, you wouldn't think that you could make a teething toy and get it that much better, but this is amazing. I love because it's got a handle on it and it has four different parts of it that have four different textures, whether a child is teething or um, mouthing or, uh, you know, just this is something we watched kids play, play with. I also want to say that it comes very uh, um, packaged so that it's, you know, everybody hasn't touched it. This one, everybody has touched. Um, but super fabulous. If you've got a baby or a baby in your life and you want to give them the perfect um, teething ring, my goodness, this we thought this was super clever, Jim. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah, thanks. So uh, what's unusual about this, it has five different teething surfaces, right? So each surface actually a different texture for the child. So it keeps the baby engaged longer. And it also has a great medicine, by the way. So all this helps the teeth engage with the child much longer, right? So the child is, is realizing the benefits of this product, especially during those teething times, um, over a longer period of time. Yeah, this is a wonderful, wonderful teething toy. We love the super yummy. Uh, and I didn't taste it, but I'm, I am I can tell it is super yummy. Now, uh, the next toy award winner is the fabulous Triangle. And this one, our, our, uh, the Therapist Choice Baby Award, so it was the Baby Therapy Award, because this guy, you want to talk about doing you know, so much different duty. This thing um, can can go in all different kinds of directions. It has all these different activities, um, things that a child can play with, things that make noise. There's the mirror and around the mirror, little slidey things, um, gear shapes here. You can make noises. I mean, the things that a child can do with this, but I love that it can be very compact as well this is a perfect thing to throw in the back seat of a car that you're going over to grandma's house and you want to be able to keep the baby engaged you can fold this thing up and it's super able to go um i, I just absolutely love it you can put it in different shapes you can put it in the triangle um that's the famous uh name for it uh, i didn't even talk about the bees on this side there are just so many things about this this is the perfect gift when somebody has a baby um, lots of different things. They're going to be interested in something. We talk all the time about doing a preference assessment with a child that you put toys in front of them to see what they're interested in. This is its own preference assessment. It's got so many things on it. It's definitely going to keep a baby happy. Um, and press which there's all the colors. 
Uh, you can be addressing colors, making faces with the mirror. Love, love, love this triangle. And it comes really uh, fabulously packaged like this. Uh, small, um, so you can see how small the, the toy can be for on the go. This can go in a suitcase. I love it. Anything you want to add that I left out, Jim? Yeah, I thought you did a great job, Shannon. So yeah, it's five different uh, PlayStations in one, if you will. And the foldable design allows the growth of the child, right? So it's flat, the child's on their tummy every time. Then you can fold it in a triangle for a tabletop play, or you can actually set it up to and encourage a child to sit up and play with it as well. Just love it. It's fabulous. Uh, so that's the triangle. Why don't we pause for a second and say, where can people get these toys, Jim? So, so Discovery Toys, so we primarily uh, take our price available through uh, a couple of thousand of our independent distributors, all of education consultants. And these are people in your community that are selling Discovery Toys. Many of them have their own websites. Um, you can find your local people by coming to Discovery Toys Net, and you can enter your zip code to your location consultant. You can also shop also on our Okay, and they are, um, there's a link on our toy guide too to each and every one of these award-winning toys that you can go right from our guide, click on it, and it'll take you right to a place where you can purchase it. And um, I, I want to tell you that there's two different places you can see the guide. You can see it on our new website, which is beta dot autism hyphen live dot com but you can also see it on the old website just click on the blog and there's a link there on the blog um, to get to the the toy guide okay now when my son was diagnosed with autism we were given a list of toys that they said these are their ideal toys for therapy make sure that you go out and get one of each one of these and on the list was a pegboard and i was like a what a pet a what and I didn't know what that meant. And then we went and saw a pegboard and I was like, what is, what does this do? And I remember the pegboard that, uh, that they had us get was wildly expensive for what I looked at and thought it was. And then I saw what the therapist did with the pegboard and my mind was forever changed. I now understand completely why it should be on every um, parents list with a small child that you're going to do ABA therapy with. It's, it's an absolute must have. Now, um, this particular pegboard though, it's like taking all pegboards and putting them on steroids because <laughs> this thing does more than I've ever seen any pegboard do. It is the best of the best of the best. And that is why it won our toddler board game award. Uh, this could have won a million awards because parents love this. Therapists love this. And one of the reasons why I love a pegboard is because of its versatility and all the different things that an ABA therapist can do. This particular one though, it has colors, it has shapes that they can teach the child. You can teach counting with a pegboard, but I love this one because it's got, it's got even more than that. It has um, these uh, sensory shakers that it's got as well. And you have packaged this with lessons so that again it grows with the child that there are even examples you can see on the back of the box where you can teach area measuring area with the pegboard stop get out i mean like seriously jim what's going on with that uh you can teach how them how to make letters it's got uh lesson cards with it so that you can teach them how to use the pegboard to make 
uh, letters. I mean, it's just insane. I, I, you know, from the very beginning, when they started working with a peg, pegboard with my son, they would put just a certain number of pegs on the board and they'd say, let's make a birthday cake. And so they would give him pegs and he would put whatever pegs on and then they would sing the happy birthday song and then they would tell him to blow out the candles. So not only were we working on the social situation of blowing out the candles, but they were working on his um, motor skills uh, to get the <sighs> because that was going to help him to be able to speak. So it could be as easy as that. Then they worked on let's just put four candles on or let's just put green candles on, right? And then it went to stacking them. You can stack these. Um, so they would do imitation play stacking that they would make a stack and say you make the exact same stack. I'm telling you guys the things that therapists can do with a pegboard that somebody needs to write a book just on the million things you can do with a pegboard. And this one, it's the best of the best of the best. I love it. Very well made, very compact, but you can do much more with this than I can I have ever seen in any pegboard. So congratulations, Jim. This is fabulous. Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> do you want to talk about the pegboard? What did I leave out? Have a hole in the play as well. What's that? The pegs have holes in them so you can lace them together. Stop. I did not know that. Um, okay, because that's one of the other toys that they suggested we get was a lacing toy. Um, that's amazing. So you can lace them together. Okay. Love, 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 love. Uh, okay. And then next I want to talk about the Tangiball. Um, every child uh, needs to have a ball and you need to be working on ball skills. And this became evident to me uh, more in the last couple of years than ever before. Here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, they do a lot of research on why do some kids make more progress with some lessons than others. And if you teach one lesson before another lesson, like are there lessons that we don't know that go together? And um, CARD has been able to phenotype seven distinct different types of autism. And one particular type of autism, it's characteristic of kids who um, have poor eye motor. They're not good at writing. They sometimes are a little bit late to reading. They have difficulty riding bikes um, and sometimes have issues with balance. And what they discovered is that if those children, those children start out having difficulty um, with ball skills, catching a ball and hanging on to it. And if they bypass that and don't get the ball skill, they will have problems tying their shoes, riding a bike and with handwriting and reading. But if they work extensively on the ball skills and get that, they tend not to have as much difficulty with those other things because working with the ball fixes part of the eye coordination. How cool is that? But the problem is that if you have a problem with eye coordination to visualize a ball coming towards you and catching it, then it's not very reinforcing. This ball helps in a lot of different ways because it's got these nubbies on it. So it's sensory, very fun and reinforcing. When you squeeze it, it toots, uh, which our kids tend to like. So there, when you catch it and kind of dig into it, you're reinforced with that little, the little squeaky sound, which they all love. And the nubbies help you to better get a hold of it and get a grip on it. So if you've got a kiddo that you is having trouble with the ball skills, I'm sorry, but you know, it's like the simplest thing can trip you up. And this helps with so many things. 
I, I'm just all about the tangible. It's super, super cool, super reinforcing, feels great, love the color. Another hit it out of the park. And so this wins our Toddler Sensory Award uh, for the year. Jim, good job. Thank you. It also has a little as well. It does. I didn't notice that yeah. before. And uh, unlike other sensory balls in the market, we actually rounded it up to a very soft shape for a child. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. And I like the squeaky. And then uh, the last one before we take a break, I don't have it set up, um, but we featured it uh, when we went to the, we have a video that we went to a toy store and we featured it there, but it's your castle, the Marble Works yeah. castle. And it won our toddler top toy award. And I just didn't have space here on the desk to set it up, but um, you, you got one there. I'm in love with this toy. We always love a marble run. It's one of the greatest toys for small kids doing therapy because it's a cause and effect toy. It has a beginning, middle and end. Um, and it's important to have a marble run when you're doing therapy. The kids work to be able to get a ball. And then you can see Jim just let go of a ball, but your balls are better than the average ball. Hold up that ball for us and shake it. Yeah. We, we love that it makes a sound. Uh, it's, they're super cool balls. I love that your pieces go together better than your average marble run. Your balls are bigger than your average marble run. They fit little hands better. Um, and because it's a castle, it's super cool. The kids tend to love it. You got the little uh, drawbridge at the bottom that comes down. So you get that reward that the, you know, the ball comes down. And you can have it open so the ball comes out, or you can have it closed so they have the surprise of pulling it down and getting the ball. So love it. We see therapists all the time. Um, for, first of all, kids love to put it together. Um, and therapists will do a, a thing uh, with kids. Um, they'll say, okay, so what do you want to work for? And they'll say, I want to work for the castle. And so they'll give them, uh, they'll, they'll do an exercise, they'll do a lesson, and when they get it right, they give them a piece and they get to fit it onto the castle. To, so they get to the top and the castle is all put together and now they do a lesson and they get a ball and they get to have the ball run down. And it's great because it's got that beginning, middle and end and it's not just, you know, you, you have the child work for the toy, they get to do the toy and because it has the middle, beginning, middle and end and it's over in a minute, they go, yay, great job. Okay, now let's do this so you can earn another ball and the kid's just having fun. It doesn't feel like, nope, you can't play with the toy, you know, gotta take the toy away from you. It's a way of keeping the energy of the lesson going and the kids love it. They absolutely have no idea that they're learning all about spatial stuff and fitting things together and using all the motor skills that it takes to put the pieces together. Um, they just think that they're having fun, but it becomes the reinforcer. I just love it. That's why it got our top toy in the toddler category. What do you want to say about that one, Jim? Well, I think it capsulizes it all. Yeah, it's, it's uh, we think the best ball on the market. market. And, uh, and not only your point, all the children getting all the different uh, benefits of such a toy, it's got a lot of make-believe as well. It is a castle. Yes. It's awesomely cool, and I love it. So, Jim, I want to take a short break to reset and clear my desk because we got more stuff uh, that we want to talk about from your company. Is that okay for you? That's great. 
All right, we're going to take a break. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more Autism Live Toy Festival right after these messages. decided to start Autism Works Now as a small business because 90% of individuals with autism and related disabilities are not employed after graduating from high school. Our mission at Autism Works Now is to create job opportunities for spectrum youth and kids through awareness and education. Shepherd. At first glance, he looks like a typical American teenager. He plays in a band, loves hanging out with his friends, he doesn't like doing homework, and he's not really fond of broccoli. But Logan Shepherd is not your typical 14-year-old. Logan was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. He was nonverbal, made no eye contact, and his parents were told to abandon all hope. Instead, his parents began an intensive intervention treatment. At its center was a quality ABA program known as the CARD method. This is Logan Shepherd now. All I really want to say is like, I'm kind of copying Martin Luther King. I kind of have a dream like that one day, like I can just like inspire people and never give up. Cause like, that's what I want to do in life. Cause if I can succeed, they can succeed and I will succeed. To follow Logan's musical journey, visit www.facebook.com slash official drummer rock or at drummer rock on Instagram. For more information on the card method, visit www.centerforautism.com or call 800-345-CARD. Rock on, Logan. Welcome back to Autism Live and to our Festival of Toys. We're playing, and I love to play. We've got Jim Garber with us, and he's from Discovery Toys, and they won so many of the awards in our toy guide this year, uh, kind of a crazy amount, because we loved, loved, loved their toys. Uh, so this next one that I have up, we're moving into uh, the older kids. We're now at preschool. That's not very old. But this is called Busy Bug. And oh my gosh, I got to tell you, because we put all of these toys out and we had a bunch of kids uh, come and play with them. And it was so interesting because um, at first this toy got a little overlooked, I got to say. Um, you, it comes with these wonderful cards. Um, there's a whole stack of them and it comes with all these colorful bugs. 
And um, it was one of those things that one child sat down and started to play with this. And when the other kids saw what he was doing with it, everybody wanted to play. Everyone wanted to play. And we had kids that were babies up through um, adult uh, individuals that were in the room and everyone wanted to play. And the thing about it was is that everybody could play because there were different things that they could do. So on each card it tells you um, different things. So the first thing says, can you find one bug from each color? So that's pretty easy to do. It's matching the color. And so we were able to tell the babies, you know, can you find one that's this color? And they would pick a bug um, from the pile. Then um, it also gives it to us in, in French and it gives it to us in Spanish. How much do we love that if you're teaching different languages to your kiddos? And then on the back of the card, it has uh, another lesson. This one says, can you find two orange bugs, two purple bugs, and two yellow bugs and match the boxes? But what we discovered is you go through the cards, they get progressively harder with skills that are, you know, from older kids. So we loved this. We loved playing with the bugs. We loved distinguishing between what's a spider and what's a fly and what's a dragonfly. And there's caterpillars. I'm just pulling up some of the different ones here. We had such a good time and they're all, oh, here's a beetle. Um, we had such a good time with this. So um, I'm in love with this toy. And so many of the parents were like, where do I get that toy? I can't believe, I, like it's to a parent or a teacher, it's clearly educational. But you watch the kids play with it and see what a great time they were having with it. And they weren't thinking of it as educational at all. So absolutely love it. And that's why it won our parent award because the parents all went nuts for it. So Jim, another one that you hit out of the park. What do you want to say about the... Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we all know that math is a subject for young children to grasp. And with busy bugs, it gives parents a great tool to use to visual and tactile needs of frequency math concepts. Now, I, I, my little story, my daughter, when she was in first grade, and she didn't know how to do times She... What I did is I put the bugs and said, okay, show me. What you did, she put two bugs online and three bugs underneath it, right? Five bugs. That's how she sees the problem on a piece of paper. So then I started using the bugs to teach her the set theory, right? So once she was able to visualize the bugs, the light bulb went off. It, it is amazing. I mean, just to sh demonstrate for you, here they have the, the bugs not colored, just the uh, black and white line drawings of them. And they say which insects are missing from the shape pattern. So they have to figure out the pattern. So there's even an element of prepping them for coding. Um, I had one here that had, um, this one is like, what, what do the two colors go together? This one is an addition problem. Uh, you know, the kids were loving it and the parents went gazanga over. So that's called Busy Bug and just love it. Again, everything feels good too. And the colors are great. They're, your toys are well made. We just, just super love it. Speaking of things feeling great, so our next toy, and this was the therapist winner. 
uh, tactile sand. The therapist thought this was just great because you could do so many things. The kids found it really reinforcing. Uh, talk to, and of course we have to say tactile sand is non-toxic, comes in this lovely little tube, uh, tub, excuse me, and comes with different uh, sand tools as well. Um, but talk to us a little bit about the, the tactile sand, because I don't even know how to describe it's it's super cool and it clumps well, but then if you rub it, it goes back to being sand. It's like a mystery. Yeah, so it, it feels like real sand. sand. It's ninety percent real sand. sand. Um, but usually, you have sand on a beach. Um, but it does um, have a compound that allows the sand parts to stay together, so you can actually hold it, right? And you can use it for the same type of things you use a dough to play with. Now, what's great about tactile sand? Unlike some of the other sensory sand parts in the marketplace, is that this sand will stay together uh, much better. So a child can actually form a castle or a house or just different animals, perhaps. The creation will actually stay together, unlike some other products. It's super fun. The kids love playing with it. The therapists love working with it with the kids. And we loved all the hand stuff that they were doing with it. A lot of times our kiddos on the spectrum are behind with their fine motor skills. Um, and we want to get to handwriting and we want to get to all the other things that they're going to do with their handwriting. And this is a great way. It's very reinforcing. So that's the tactile sand. And it won the, the preschool therapist award. Um, so absolutely love the tactile sand. Okay, next up on our list, uh, I got I got to consult because there were so many of them. Well, let's talk about the pentagrams next. The uh, pentominoes. The pentominoes. We have them listed wrong. I need to fix that on our guide. Let's talk about the pentominoes. Um, yes, because these are super duper cool, and I have one that's open. Um, now this is, uh, this one, the adult oldie but goodie, because there are elements of this that are going to be familiar to an adult, but it's rethought in a whole new way because it's like Tetris, but 3D, um, in person. Love these shapes. And again, some of them are green. This is a green one, but it's going to register as black. So let's talk a little bit about this one, uh, because, you know, I can't always see things. I'm a very visual person, but I'm not a 3D person. And a lot of our, our folks that are on the spectrum um, have a way of viewing the world that is fascinating to me. And they were just loving this toy and able to do things with this toy that I did not understand. Uh, they were able to make shapes with it. They were able to just ching, 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 ching and make shapes with it that I was like, huh? What? I am not uh, great with these, but I'm telling you, great toy for an adult in your life um, because they can stack these and make different shapes and have them go together. To, uh, I don't even understand it. I love that it comes with a booklet for people like me that are a little bit challenged to show you some suggestions of things that you can build with it. Um, but put these in the hands and it gets much more complicated. Put these in the hands of somebody who's on the spectrum who is this kind of a thinker and it's super, and I love that it comes in this bag so that it's something that they can pop in their backpack and take with them. It's a great fidget toy or something to pull out when there's nothing else to do. And I love that it's not screen time. I love that it's something, it can be social, you can work on it two at a time. Really super cute. And so that one, our oldie but goodie in the adult category. I love it. What do you want to add? Yeah, thank, thank you. you. You're right. It's great, great fun for all ages. ages. And the guide 
includes uh, three-dimensional shapes you can make as well, such as 2D. And the solutions for all the shapes are actually back, color-coded. Those easy guys to find a solution to There's only 16 here. But to your point, there's really thousands of different combinations you can make with these. Really, really clever. And then, of course, uh, to go along with that, uh, was the Mosaic Mysteries, which, because because that is more flat, I had a great time playing with this. This was more my speed, um, because you, it comes with this tray, and I'll show you guys, I'll open it up and show you. Comes with a tray and all of these um, shapes, and then you get to make different designs within the tray. So the, the tray here and all the shapes, and of course I shook the box, we had a shape. Uh, but I shook it. And you can decide what pattern you want to make, or there's a wonderful guide that shows you how. Oh, look what you made. Aren't you clever? Um, so there's a million and eight, 18 different things that you can do. And we were having a ball figuring out, okay, because I tend to think very literally and go, okay, here is the shape. And what, not all the shapes that you can make out of putting the shape together. Very fascinating. We found it very meditative and um that everybody was saying oh i just feel like this calms me down this it was super duper um fun people were working on it by themselves other people were playing it in groups of two or three um and some people wanted to create their own pattern and other people were happy just to play and discover for themselves really super again not screen time um, but easy, it's a very small footprint. This is a great thing that you could take on a trip. Um, if you're going someplace and need to keep somebody calm. Um, and I want to say that that won our sensory award in the adult category, but you can play this with kiddos that are much younger, but uh, especially our adults who are in the room were saying that it really helped them to mellow out and be able to focus and not be bothered by other things that were going on. So super duper loved it. It's the Mosaic Mysteries. Anything you want to add, Jim? Yeah, and, and the, the guy, guy is progressive, progressive right? right? So start with younger ages and move through it, becomes more complicated. But we also did black and white drawings in the guy. So you can actually choose what the colors you want to use, shades. And did or the challenge, put partial designs in the guide. So then you are challenged to Super love it. And then last but not least is our Adult Therapist Award. And this is called Tricky Fingers. And um, super easy to take along with you. It's, it's this grid that has holes in the bottom. And it's got these wonderful balls that you can uh, solve puzzles. Um, and it re really requires con uh, concentration to be able to move the balls by pushing them with your finger. Now, I, I don't know in terms of all the millions of ways that you can use this, but what we found was that this was very meditative. Um, that we had adults who were playing this and getting so focused and being so calmed by this and we were just amazed at the result from this. So again, this won our adult, um, the therapist award, uh, because the therapists were loving this um, for our adults that sometimes have a different set of um, issues that they're dealing with. I think even teens uh, were really liking this. I'm trying to just get them all in a row. 
Um, but it also comes with uh, instructions of different things that you can do and cards to match. Look at those. Um, so that it's, it's a puzzle that you can do on your own or you can uh, do it to solve the puzzle that's on the card that you draw. So I super love this, Jim. How about you? I do, and it comes with two boxes, by the way, so you can actually play with a friend and race each other. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I love, see, and I'm already, I'm like, forget Jim. I'm, I'm playing with it. I'm, <laughs> you know, but it's that kind of a thing, and, some, and that's part of what a good toy does is it allows you to do something and relax and be transported to someplace else for a minute. Um, so we super love that. Jim, I'm so impressed with Discovery Toys. I'm just realizing that we've gone way over time, so I appreciate you hanging with us. And uh, other than our toy guide, and you can find the link to purchase all of these toys on our toy guide, where can they find these toys? Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, come to discoverytoys.net. You can find our products there. And uh, we also have a place on our website where you can enter your zip code. We'll help you find your local educational consultant who can give you a lot more products and hopefully give you the opportunity to build some of these products. I just love your stuff. It's so great. So thank you so much for being with us. And <clears throat> all of these toys are going to be given away uh, next Saturday at our Sensitive Santa event. So, so grateful for, um, for these toys that are going to be put in some really wonderful people's hands. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for all you guys do, Shannon, and your organization, uh, for supporting the people from all walks of life from the spectrum and, and, and their families. So thank you. Thank you so much. Say hi to everybody at Discovery Toys for us. Again, that one was thank called you. Tricky Fingers, in case I didn't say that. All right. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Uh, at my desk, it looks like a toy store exploded in here. I'm having such a good time. And we've gone way, way over. Uh, we're going to be back next Wednesday with more toys. You're not going to want to miss it. There are only a few tickets left for the Sensitive Santa. If you're in the Los Angeles area, get them now. And don't be afraid to sign up. Um, if the tickets are all gone for the event, don't be afraid to sign up for the waiting list. We make a huge effort to make sure that the people on the waiting list get in. Uh, thus far, we've always been able to do it, and I don't see any reason why we're not going to be able to do it at this time. So sign up on the waiting list, and we will see you next Wednesday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.